turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, we'll hear from Carl Truman on the calling of the church in our era. The church is facing particular challenges, especially as it's discipling its young people at the moment. Uh, Questions of sexual morality, gender identity. We'll look at the challenge we're facing as a nation. Only one in four could name George Washington as the first president of the United States. Plus, Pastor Philip DeCourcy looks at our real challenge. Evangelism and discipleship is the focus of any true believer today in the midst of spiritual warfare. And the calling of the church. The best thing I can do is to bring my neighbor into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Furrow. Great to be with you today. I'm the host of the Pastor Scott Show, heard Monday through Friday throughout the L.A. and San Diego areas in Southern California and available whenever you are in the nation via live stream at kkla.com and also through the KKLA app available for Apple and Android devices. I'm coming to you from my home station of KKLA in Los Angeles. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on X or Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with an effort to make sense of our moment. With the pace of change in our nation today, making sense of our moment is not easy. But the pressures that we have been placed under by the culture have created a situation that actually serves to give us biblical and theological clarity. Carl Truman is a historical theologian and authored the book Looking at Our Current Era, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Carl was a guest of John Hall and Kathy Emmons on Word 101.5 FM in Pittsburgh. So from your perspective, Carl, you feel like there's a battle going on right now. We, we're familiar with the battle for the Reformation, you know, the, the kinds of things that were at stake, the kinds of things that Martin Luther put up on uh, the door in Wittenberg. Um, but uh, the questions now, uh, who's asking them and how do we know what they are? Yeah, well, I mean, in some ways, the, the perennial questions are still there. You know, what shall I do to be saved? That's a hardy perennial in, in, in church history. But I think the church is facing particular challenges, especially as it's discipling its young people at the moment, relative to uh, questions of sexual morality, uh, gender identity. These are the kind of questions that are being pushed on the church by the world around, and the church can't ignore them. Uh, I mean, the church can, can certainly disagree with the world's answers, but the church has to provide her own people with, with good reasons uh, for the faith that's within them and for good reasons for holding to traditional biblical positions on these things. And, and I think if you reflect upon the host of questions we're being asked in, in the ethical and moral realm, a lot of them actually come down to the status of the body. Uh, when you think about sexual morality, the real question is, what is and is not an appropriate use of men and women's sexual organs? Uh, when you think about gender, the question is, well, exactly what status do certain physical 
uh, and chromosomal characteristics of my body carry. So a lot of uh, what we're facing at the moment tracks back to questions about what status, what authority mm-hmm. should Christians give to their physical bodies? What about the fusing of our bodies with technology? You know, for anyone who's suffered um, with any type of chronic illness or any type of life-threatening illness, whatever options are available to you are something that you would consider. And, and now the questions are getting even more complicated than I think they ever have been. I think one of the things to bear in mind is if you have a normative notion of what it means to be a human being, then you're able to use technology in a way that serves that normative notion. So, for example, uh, if, if I'm born with, with only one leg, we, we have a normative notion of human beings as, as those who function best with two legs. So to have a prosthetic leg seems to be merely replacing something that should have been there in the first place. Uh, and that's been generally agreed upon by society in the yeah. past. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and that's very different, for okay. example, to saying, well, actually, I quite like four legs. Uh, why can't I have two extra legs added to me? Mm-hmm. You think about it, it's a sort of it's a trivial, perhaps a bizarre example. But what's going on there in, in the second scenario is the body is becoming, well, whatever we can do with it, with technology, that can be right. Whereas in the first uh, analogy, it's no, the, the body, how we have a normative understanding of what a human being should be, and, and technology can serve that. Uh, is technology, if you like, restorative, or is it transformative? And I would say mm-hmm. Christian understanding of technology should really, medical technology should really see it as, as restorative, not transformative. Carl, when we're talking about decisions about how technology impacts our body, Again, I come back to this a little bit of a of a of an anxious place where I think it's too much responsibility for a person to decide because of all the options we have. I believe we've entered into a place where we actually have too many choices and those choices have to be in a psychological way paralyzing for many people. Yes, I think so. I mean, when we. You know, there's a sense in which when you, when you leave home, when you leave familiar circumstances and let's say move to a big city, that's very anxiety inducing. Yes. Why? Because you're kind of lost at that point. You, you have to refine yourself. You've got to establish your identity in that new place. Well, we all kind of live in that place now because technology has so transformed the possibilities uh, at our fingertips. I was using an example in class this morning. I was saying, you know, let's say you're a four-year-old girl. And you say to your mum and dad, am I a girl or a boy? And your mum and dad say to you, well, we don't know. You've got to choose because we have technology that could flip you either way. It's a very, very disturbing thing. When we lose any sense of what it means to be human, when our bodies become just raw material, then the sheer power of technology places options at our fingertips that really do make us terrified because the responsibility for who I am falls 100% on my shoulders. If there is confusion and ignorance today on things as basic as what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man, there is also a great deal of ignorance about what this collection of some 330 million men and women in these United States of America stand for. Ignorance about our history, ignorance about the structure of our government, and ignorance about the values put forward in our founding documents. 
Tim Gagline of Focus on the Family is making the case for teaching the great American story. He's the author of Toward a More Perfect Union. He was a guest on WAVA in the nation's capital. Sitting in for Don Crow was Greg Seltz. You know, let's get back to some platforms and principles because this history, if, if unlearned, ignorance actually uh, paves the way for tyranny. You know, it does. I wanted to share just one data set, if I may, uh, because, you know, if we're not raising a generation to become great citizens uh, and to understand the sacrifice needed for freedom, then what really are we doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to look at, at, the, at the data set. Uh, this is just from Oklahoma, and as I say, similar to all 50 states. Only one in four, this is public school students, only one in four could name George Washington as the first president of the United States. Only 10% knew that there are nine justices on the United States Supreme Court. Less than 30% knew that the president heads the executive branch of our government. By the way, only 3% were able to answer six out of the 10 questions from the test uh, that is given to become a, a citizen uh, of our country. Mm. Uh, I was also really struck, deeply struck, by a similar survey from our friends at Intercollegiate Studies Institute, which, by the way, this was a survey of all people in all 50 states, and it found that only half of adults could name the three branches of our government, including, Greg, only 36% of college graduates who could do so, and 18% could not name a single right or freedom guaranteed under the United States Constitution. Uh, By the way, 2% said, I kid you not, 2% said that climate change caused the Civil War. Don't you love that? Climate change caused the Civil War? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I I mean, you know, the, 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 the thing is, we can find the humor in it, and you can't blame any one group uh, or, or individual. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, there are ramifications for cultural and historic uh, illiteracy if you are ultimately trying to govern uh, the freest nation in the history of mankind. I mean, uh, our founding fathers were concerned about this connection between basic literacy uh, and the purpose of freedom and the ability to govern a great nation. Well, it's amazing, too. You talked about George Washington, how people didn't even know he was our first president. And then three branches. I, the other one that gets me is when the Electoral College are trying to overturn that. And I always tell people, do you understand that they prevented the tyranny of the monarchy or the tyrant? Yes. But they also prevented the tyranny of the mob, which is pure democracy. Yeah. And our yeah. kids don't know any of these tensions, right? That's correct. And I'd like to go a step deeper, if I may. One of the things that I talk about at length in Toward a More Perfect Union is the connection now between basic uh, historical literacy and deep cultural illiteracy on the question of things of the spirit. You know, our, our second president, John Adams, said that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Right. Uh, Adams said that it's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And so what I am stressing is that I think that history has proven John Adams to be correct. What I mean is that when people abandon a moral or righteous foundation, societies collapse. And, and I think we can say that many of the ills that we face as a nation today, incivility, broken families, drug abuse, 
you know, urban violence. They're manifestations of this spiritual crisis, this spiritual recession that is ripping uh, the United States of America. And I think that in too many places that we have replaced the blueprint that's bequeathed to us, you know, through the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution, essentially, Greg, with a blank document that each person is told to fill in for himself or herself. And so I think it's the spiritual crisis that is the issue of our time, that ultimately we are a constitutional republic that was built upon the Bible. It was built upon the Judeo-Christian tradition, which is timeless, and and it's timely, it's relevant, and and fits precisely in, Greg, to to the thing that we most need today to address the spiritual crisis that has gripped our nation, and especially the rising generation of young Americans. I'm an inveterate optimist. I've said that twice, and I I, I believe that restoration is possible. We're at a hinge moment, and we will choose incline or we will choose decline. And I think that there are millions of us who want to choose restoration and renewal uh, and, you know, and acts of recovery. I think that's where we're at. Coming up, Pastor Philip DeCourcy. Evangelism and discipleship is the focus of any true believer today in the midst of spiritual warfare. In the next segment of The Christian Outlook. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Keeping your retirement safe has never been more difficult. The U.S. dollar is under attack. Our national debt is the highest it's ever been. And signs of a devastating recession are everywhere. It's time you protected and secured your wealth with precious metals. Gold has been a safe haven investment for hundreds of years. In fact, thousands of investors are diversifying their portfolios every month with physical gold and silver, and now you can too. Get started right now by visiting AdvantageGold.com or calling 844-375-GOLD. Call us now and see how you could get up to $1,000 in free silver. The time to protect and secure your retirement is now. So call 844-375-4653 and claim your free gold investing starter kit today. Your future is precious. Protect it today with the help of Advantage Gold. Call Advantage Gold at 844-375-4653. That's 844-375-GOLD. Keeping your retirement safe has never been more difficult. The U.S. dollar is under attack. Our national debt is the highest it's ever been. And signs of a devastating recession are everywhere. It's time you protected and secured your wealth with precious metals. Gold has been a safe haven investment for hundreds of years. In fact, thousands of investors are diversifying their portfolios every month with physical gold and silver, and now you can too. Get started right now by visiting AdvantageGold.com or calling 844-375-GOLD. Call us now and see how you could get up to $1,000 in free silver. The time to protect and secure your retirement is now, so call 844 
844-375-4653 and claim your free gold investing starter kit today. Your future is precious. Protect it today with the help of Advantage Gold. Call Advantage Gold at 844-375-4653. That's 844-375-GOLD. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow, host of the Pastor Scott Show in Southern California. I think Tim Gegline was onto something in his closing comments in that last segment. The problems we are facing in this nation are spiritual. Ephesians 6 is a key portion of Scripture for us here. I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Pastor Philip DeCourcy. He is the host of the daily program, Know the Truth. You're preaching through uh, Ephesians, and when we talked about the spiritual nature of so much of what's going on, often on our show, we come to the conclusion that this doesn't make any sense, the things that are happening in the news and in the world. But actually, it makes perfect sense when you look at it from a biblical point of view, doesn't it? Yes. And and we need to get a biblical perspective on our context. Um, As I've been preaching through Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, And I've quoted A.W. Tozer often, who said, this world is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we need to be reminded of that. The Christian life is not a walk in the park on a Sunday afternoon. It's, It's a battlefield. It's a battleground. It's contested territory. And Paul tells us that, right? Scott, I mean, Ephesians 6, 12, you wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, hold on. Uh, Paul had plenty of flesh and blood enemies, and so did the Ephesians. The New Testament church was, you know, on the wrong end of political persecution, on the wrong end of a cancel culture. They were on the wrong end of political figures jabbing at them, um, removing their liberties. Uh, they ha- they were dealing with uh, a religious antagonism from several of the faith communities around them. So to me, it's astounding but very insightful of Paul says, hold on a minute, don't get caught up simply in what your eyes see. We walk not by sight, we walk by faith. And he brings a faith or a a, a biblical or a theological perspective, and he reminds us that there's principalities, there's powers, there's rulers of the darkness of this age. And and, and I, I want our people to see that. Pastor, when we talk about spiritual warfare, sometimes there's another side of it where people are, I think, in Christian people get so far into it, they start to try to figure out specifically what Satan might be trying to do. And I think it goes beyond putting on the armor of God. It's putting on the armor of God and then putting a whole lot of weight of definition of what demons might be doing here and there or Mm -hmm. other things. How do we just stick with the biblical description, the fight that is actually described and not worry as much about the things we can't actually know. Yeah, but look, um, this is maybe not the right way to say it, but there is a lot of hocus pocus around spiritual warfare. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I look at Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. It's the longest passage in the New Testament on spiritual warfare. There's nothing said in that passage about territorial demons and rebuking Satan and all of that. It, it's It's a passage like the rest of Ephesians that centered on the fruit and the power and the triumph of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And and, and I, I brought out the fact that if you look at the armor we're told to put on, th- those are all gospel-related issues. The truth of the gospel, the righteousness that comes 
by, by imputation through faith in Jesus Christ, the, the, the breastplate of his righteousness, the, the faith that he produces in us and the faith that we have because of him, the, the word of God. If we live the gospel, if we live in union with Jesus Christ, then we are protected. We certainly don't discount the enemy and his might, but while he's mighty, he's not almighty. I see nothing in the New Testament about Christians running scared. We're told to stand, and we're, we're, we're the inference of that, we're able to stand. And I think if we stay within Ephesians 6 and the clear passages of Scripture, that uh, we can win the spiritual warfare. In fact, the spiritual warfare has already been won earlier in Ephesians Paul talks about how Christ has triumphed over the principalities and powers. That's right. That's the language he uses in Ephesians 6. That's right. And so we're not fighting for victory. We're living in victory. And as we live in union with Jesus Christ and apply all the benefits of the gospel in both justification and sanctification and the hope of glorification, uh, we can withstand the evil that marks our day. We don't need to succumb to temptation. Um, We can resist the devil and cause him to flee from us. And so I love the balance of Ephesians 6. And it's interesting, when you read a lot of what's going on in contemporary evangelicalism regarding spiritual warfare and the stuff that's in and around the circumference of that, I just don't find that emphasis in Ephesians 6. I think we make it too complicated. And, you know, there's something else, you know, by adding stuff that we couldn't know, it takes our eye off the ball. And something I like about this passage in in the reminding us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is spiritual. That also reminds us to not make the non-believer our enemy, but instead the victory is when that person comes to Christ and comes on our side and is able to put on the armor of God uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, to join that battle that they know all too well. And it reminds right. us to stay on mission, that that's where our, our victory is, and we have the Lord's help. Yeah, I love it. I mean, if we're staying with military analogies or military language, mission drift. And I yeah. think the contemporary yeah. church is involved in mission drift. We're getting too involved in, in social justice issues. We're getting too involved in the political realm. And not that some of that isn't important, loving your neighbor, uh, uh, advancing righteousness within a nation, which is good for a nation. But our mission is preaching the gospel to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I love the phrase in 2 Timothy 2, is it, where Paul talks about those who are held captive by the devil at his will. Yes. And so while on the one hand, my my godless neighbor, my pagan neighbor, my Christless neighbor who's living an immoral life and, and violating the law of God, he's culpable for his actions, and, and I, I have a right to point out the difference between right and wrong. I've got to look again beyond that and see also he's he's been manipulated beyond his his own flesh by a tempter who holds him captive. Right, Second Corinthians four four. Those who are blinded by in their minds by Satan. First uh, John five. The world sits in the the lap, or the world is under the sway of the evil one. So the best thing I can do both politically and socially, is to bring my neighbor into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, because 
After that, righteousness will take root in his life, and his family will be the better for it. The neighborhood will be the better for it, and there'll be one less person in the ranks of darkness, so there's more light and less darkness. And so that, that, that's, that's our focus. You touched on it. Our mission is the building up of the church. That's right. Um, you know, I, I sat down with a few men in our church recently over dinner, and, I, and I, I challenged them with this question, what's the greatest thing going on in the world today? What's the most important thing going on in the world today? And I was a little surprised that how they, they hesitated to get to the answer I was looking for. The answer to that question is the church. That's right. The building up of the church. Nations will fall into the dustbin of history. This present moment will give way to eternity. And when all the scaffolding of of human history is is pulled down, what remains behind that is is a church built by the Lord, nigh glorious and sinless, that will enter into an eternal relationship with Him and an eternal state under a new heaven and earth. So that's the end goal. When the war is finished, that's where the victory will be defined. And therefore, evangelism and discipleship is the focus of any true believer today in the midst of spiritual warfare. Coming up... Broad evangelicalism was trying to make peace with those, wanted to be a soft presence at the very time that they needed to learn how to go to war. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Scott Furrow. If, like Philip DeCourcy said, if we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, there is one area of our lives where we see that most acutely in the fast unfolding sexual and moral revolution. Individuals and families are wrestling with issues that would have seemed like foreign concepts just a decade ago. And as we navigate the days where the Lord has us, our next guest is trying to get us to avoid, in the title of her new book, The Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Rosaria Butterfield was a guest of Eric Metaxas. What are these five lies? Why did you write a book and want to frame it in that way? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to write this book because I was constantly being bombarded by questions from moms and grandmas. Basically, what is going on in our world? If Christ is not divided, why is the church divided? Why does it feel like I'm living at the ground zero of the Tower of Babel? And why can't we major on the majors anymore? Why can't we even agree about what the majors are? And so those are good questions. Those are basic faith in life and reason questions, which I, as a former professor, love. And so I sat down and um, I came up with three reasons and five lies. And the three reasons are simply this. The first is we have failed to recognize that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. You don't have a savior apart from the creation ordinance. You are made in the image of God as a man or as a woman. You are not made in the image of God as a trans activist or as a 
lesbian or as anything else, because image bearing has to do with growing in the knowledge and the righteousness and the holiness of God. It's reflecting God. It has nothing to do with growing in the world, the flesh and the devil. So the first is seeds of the gospel are in the garden. The second reason was people didn't seem to know what time it was. They didn't seem to know what it means to live in a post-Bergefell world. And they didn't seem to understand the pressures, real pressures that were coming and pushing the church. And they also weren't watching how broad evangelicalism was trying to make peace with those, wanted to be a soft presence at the very time that they needed to learn how to go to war. And then the third reason was that part of being a soft presence here in Sodom, as it were, is failing to actually love your enemies, do what Pastor Ken Smith did for me, said, I can accept you as a lesbian, but I don't approve of you, and shared the truth of the scriptures. And instead, the broad evangelical church agreeing with the world just said, hey, well, love is love. Let's all be friends. What can we learn from you? What can I learn from my neighbors who are living in sin? Now, is there common grace? Of course there is. But to suggest that you can learn anything theological or about growing in, in, in Christ from your lesbian neighbors, that's a little bit dubious. And that unleashed five lies. The lies are so familiar that it almost feels like looking under our eyelids. The five lies are homosexuality is normal. Pagan spirituality is kind. Feminism is good for the church and the world. Transgenderism is a normal gender variant, and modesty is an outdated value harmful to women. And so what I do in the book is simply unpack all of those lies, and I try to do so with sincere humility. I mean, folks, I was a gay rights activist. I wrote policy and spoke before the New York legislature. This is the world I helped create. I believed all these lies, and even as a Christian, I, I clung to a lot of them. So the blood's on my hands. These lies have infected the world and now the church, and grown-ups need to enter the room and say, it stops right here. And I say this as somebody who's been speaking to school board meetings on the subject of transgenderism and parents' rights, which is similar, I imagine, to doing rounds at a psych ward during a full moon. So grown-ups really need to show up. Well, I, you know, I think we have to say there's a demonic element here. There are Absolutely. people that are so broken that they've allowed demonic influences into their lives. And when you don't want to talk about that, folks, it's like saying, well, we don't do math or science here. Let's stick to other stuff. This is part of reality. And if you claim to be some kind of Christian and don't understand that there is a genuine spiritual reality that's too medieval for you you're not actually a christian you're very confused and we need to understand that as a reality um and when what we're dealing with in the culture right now with with the trans madness most people you don't even need to be a christian you look around you go like there's something so off here this is not normal off this is like the the delusion of crowds following adolf hitler something is at play here that is not normal trouble. This is, this is somehow spiritually very dark. And to add to that, we can really see it because unbelievers are willing to be more brave, forthright, honest, and simply deal in reality than broad evangelicals right now. So you have Tavistock, the largest quote-unquote pediatric gender-affirming clinic in the world that has been shut down. That's in the UK. How did, was it shut down? Well, uh, internal activists, that's LGBTQ plus blah, 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 you know, activists said, this is nuts. 
Coming up, getting your identity right. Your identity is in being an image bearer of a holy God. We continue with Rosaria Butterfield when the Christian Outlook continues in just a moment. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Rosaria Butterfield, let me note just briefly a small bit of her story before we pick up on the conversation. In the 1990s, she served as a professor of women's studies program at Syracuse University in New York. She was an advisor to the LGBTQ plus group on campus, and she was in a lesbian relationship herself. Her conversion story is a beautiful one. Let's pick up with more of Rosaria and Eric Metaxas on five lies of our anti-Christian age. One of the lies is that homosexuality is normal. Mm-hmm. And right. once again, we have to define our terms. Right. Um, my friend Dennis Prager was attacked recently because he said something similar to this, but exactly the opposite. But people often don't care. They just see you're the enemy, so they're going to attack you. He said which is true, that in the history of the world, uh, homosexuality is normative, like sin is normative. Mm, if you mm-hmm. look before you get to the Bible and to the, to, to, to the, to the laws uh, of the Israelites, and so forth, all pagan cultures, ancient cultures, homosexuality was normal. It is only when you introduce God that mm. you realize, aha, no, this is not a good thing. So when you say homosexuality is normal, I mean something you, a little different. You mean it in a different way. And I just want to be clear about right. that. I also want to be clear about what Dennis Prager was saying, okay. because people <laughs> wrongly said that he's saying it's normal. That is a complete lie and a misrepresentation right. of right. what he has said for, right. for decades. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, because you're absolutely right. I mean, sin goes downward and outward. And so that's it does have a way of leveling the playing field. I'm talking about post-19th century modern man sees homosexuality as a normal category of personhood, a sense of humanity, a sense of who I am ontologically. Uh, what is my authentic self, my identity? And that is a lie. Your identity is in being an image bearer of a holy God. That means that you have an identity of as being an image bearer and either a man or a woman. That is your identity. This idea that has crept into the church is that if, if, if your quote unquote sexual orientation, which is a 19th century Freudian invention, it's about 150 years old. We act like it's as old as Adam, right? But if you, if you believe that that is your identity, then that's a kind of flyover zone. I can't repent of my I can't repent of my identity. I can't repent of my feelings. This is who I am. But in reality, homosexuality, like any other plethora of sin, is maybe uh, not, it's not who you are, but it may be how you feel. This whole idea of sexual orientation being who you are 
homosexual orientation that is led to another really ridiculous thing that the evangelical church has believed. And that's that all sin is equal, that it's equally as sinful to sin in a heterosexual way as it is to sin in a homosexual way. That is theologically not true. As, an, as a heterosexual, when you sin sexually, you are sinning against God's command, but you are not sinning against God's pattern. But homosexual sin is always a sin against God's pattern and his purpose. And that's ex that is exactly why you need the gospel, because the gospel teaches you to hate your sin without hating yourself. And people who say, well, my feelings aren't sinful, don't understand the words of Jesus, because Jesus said that your uh, lust is actually adultery, uh, that, that your feelings are terribly sinful. And they can change, and they do change, because we serve a resurrected Savior. Now, are you lobotomized? I don't know. I haven't been. But you fight the good fight, and in sanctification, you improve. It doesn't happen easily, but it does happen. And we live in a world that says, oh, no, no, the perverted should norm the true. And never in the history of Western culture have you seen that. You know, we are Christians. We don't throw people away. We understand that original sin is going to affect people in terms of their morals and in terms of their physical reality. And so we uh, we want to help and come alongside and um, and bless and take care of people. But what we don't want to do is say your problem. I can see your problem is really struggling. It's really troubling you. Why don't we pretend your problem isn't a problem and let's let it renorm the norm? And you're actually that's it. That is a that is a big trend mm -hmm. uh, in modern culture. I mean, mm -hmm. I, we were talking the other day about John Fetterman dressing mm -hmm. like a slob, and then everybody says like. Well, let's all dress like slobs so he doesn't feel bad, which is kind of like when, when you when you say, um, you know what, there are some uh, 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 kids here that don't have fathers. So let's let's never refer to exactly. the normal idea of a mother and a father uh, or we don't want to. To, to hurt the feelings of, of, of a single mother. So we don't want to talk about the idea of married couples or whatever. And right. there's an instinct there that is good, that we care about people's feelings, that that's good. But then we take it too far and we let the devil get a hold of it. And the devil has gotten a hold of this one big time. And that's exactly what you're talking about with regard to people's sexual feelings. And then we can't help solve the problem. See, that's the other thing. Then we become, you know, we sin infantilizes people. There's no reason for Christians to act like two-year-olds. Uh, when you are dealing with a gender-anxious child, uh, the, the, the medical analog to that is anorexia. Well, you would never tell your anorexic daughter, yes, you would never affirm her fatness. That would be ridiculous. Nor would you think that all she needs is a sticker and a parade. That would be, uh, you know, barbaric. And yet that's what you see whole sections of the world and even the evangelical church doing around transgenderism. Preston Sprinkle, who is, I think, a heretic, but one of the lead voices in evangelicalism on transgenderism, dedicates his um, God-forsaken book, Embodied, to the they who wore a transgender flag at the last Revoice conference with the white letters Imago Dei superimposed in them. And Preston says, you know, this they is the 
finest Christian I know. I've learned so much from Bay. Boy, oh boy. What else can we say uh, about your book? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what I would just like to say is that the you know the the, the word of God is our absolute only uh, lifeline in this crazy world, and so so Christians don't um, you know don't be frightened. Find your voice, um, and, and don't be frightened by the mob scene that you see out there. Uh, we need to bring. Uh, reality, because we believe that the Christian faith is reality, we need to bring it to bear to the world. Coming up... It's not just a sin to tell a lie. It's a sin to believe a lie. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Before I spoke word, you were singing Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata with Johnny and Friends. Did you know that more than 80 million Americans daily depend on AM radio for conversations, news, weather reports, and emergency information? Well, a new bill in Congress would ensure AM radio remains in cars. Because when cell and Internet services are down, this free service could be your only access to vital communication. Visit DependOnAM.com to learn how to make your voice heard. Keeping your retirement safe has never been more difficult. The U.S. dollar is under attack. Our national debt is the highest it's ever been, and signs of a devastating recession are everywhere. It's time you protected and secured your wealth with precious metals. Gold has been a safe haven investment for hundreds of years. In fact, thousands of investors are diversifying their portfolios every month with physical gold and silver, and now you can too. Get started right now by visiting AdvantageGold.com or calling 844-375-GOLD. Call us now and see how you could get up to $1,000 in free silver. The time to protect and secure your retirement is now. So call 844-375-4653 and claim your free gold investing starter kit today. Your future is precious. Protect it today with the help of Advantage Gold. Call Advantage Gold at 844-375-4653. That's 844-375-GOLD. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. The battle over the agenda of the sexual revolution is happening everywhere, of course, but it is particularly acute in the arena of education. Parents across the nation are tuning into the fact all too clear now that school boards and school administrators, and at least a subset of school teachers, really have not had and do not have the parents' interest at heart. We've seen a number of episodes of rather lively and passionate interactions at school board meetings. Let's pick up with Eric Metaxas with Rosaria Butterfield. I just want to leave you with something that really did just happen recently at a school board meeting, because I hope it encourages you. I was rebuked, of course, for being a bully, because you can see what a bully I am, Eric. Um, You're a monster. Continue. I am a monster. But I had my, the last school board meeting, meeting I brought my 20-year-old son as my bodyguard, because my husband was, uh, you know, he's a pastor, and he was doing visitations. And uh, the last speaker at the school board meeting stood up, and this was a school board meeting to discuss transgenderism and children and parents' rights. So we were on topic. She stood up and she screamed in the microphone. And actually, the um, school board stopped and gave a point of privilege and said, listen, do you need to compose yourself? Do you want us to restart your three minutes like the rest of us? Your three minutes are up and they like, you know, they take you out of there. And she said, oh, no, no, this is my point. And so she resumed her screaming. Turns out this is a Durham County school teacher. So she screamed for her three minutes. I went up to her afterwards and I gave her my phone number 
And I said, look, I'm sorry, I can't interpret screaming, but if you'd like to use your words, I would be happy to hear you out. And I mean it. Here's my phone number. Call me. I want to hear your words. We got in the car and my 20-year-old son said, mom, the last time you told me to use my words, I was four. And, and I think what we need to see is that sin infantilizes people. And I want especially a Christian audience to know it's not just a sin to tell a lie. It's a sin to believe a lie. So some of these books that come to you well-reviewed by well-heeled parachurch ministries and all of their hirelings, if you're believing a lie, that sin is on you. And, you know, the screamer was a licensed school teacher. If that's what she does at a school board meeting, what does she do in her classroom? Now, what, what when you mention, you, you know, you say parachurch organizations, whatever. Yeah. So the Gospel Coalition, we know this is the case with them. I think the last time you mentioned crew is guilty of yeah. the same thing. I think it's been a real, uh, at least what I've seen coming out of crew, I think, and I'm going to tell you something, it isn't just crew, but one of the things that's happening for these campus ministries is that you have these quote unquote transgender Christians coming in saying, my name is Matilda and, um, you know, I would like to be in the women's Bible study and use the women's restroom and I need some woman to help me learn how to curl my hair. And these campus ministries are so much buttressed by these parachurch ministries that have given over to the lie that you can be gay and Christian, you can be trans and Christian. Why? Well, because your feelings are actually your God. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to mention it to a friend. Find this episode at ChristianOutlook.com. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Scott Furrow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up. When I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like. Rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my co-workers. And walk around the office on eggshells. And have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather. Peanut gallery. Long time no see. No can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety. And do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.